Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. How are you? Let's go. If you have a Bible, John chapter 12 is where we will jump off this morning. And um, if you've been here for a while, you know that we have just recently ended a very long series through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And our plan is for the next few Sundays, we're going to do a few standalone messages on a few issues that I think would be helpful for us as a church. And then uh, I'm going to Uganda with our mission team going to Uganda in the first couple weeks of June. The other guys will do a few standalone messages. And then beginning in mid-June, we are going to pick up and work through uh, the New Testament letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. So we'll be in that through the balance of the summer. Look forward to that so you can begin to read that and and just immerse yourself in that, that book. This morning, though, we're going to look at this idea of the fear of man and our hunger for glory. I think this is, I've been a person now for 44 years, and I've been the pastor of this church since we began as a small little group of people 10 years ago. Without a doubt, this is the number one issue in my life. And without a doubt, as I've sat in offices in this church, It is the number one issue that virtually everybody that I deal with as a pastor struggles with the most. The fear of man and this unquenchable hunger for glory that we have. So to analyze our hearts and to analyze this issue, I want us to start by reading just a short text in John chapter 12. And Admittedly, this is not our custom, by the way, if you are uh, visiting with us. Our custom usually is to do what we call expositional preaching, where we just work through books of the Bible, just chapter after chapter, verse after verse. We think that's the best way to do it. We do that 95% of the time. For the next couple Sundays, though, we're going to settle on some issues that, that we think as pastors would just be good for us to think about as a church. And So this morning we are admittedly parachuting down into the middle of the Gospel of John. And what's going on in in this text is that Jesus is ministering and he's starting to face opposition and the religious leaders of his day are threatened by his message and they are beginning to uh, threaten him. And so sides are beginning to be taken between those that are beginning to follow Jesus and those that are beginning to oppose Jesus. And so these few sentences, these two verses in the middle of John chapter 12, really jump off the page and highlight this issue of the fear of man and our hunger for glory. So let me read, and then we'll pray and launch into this. John chapter 4, verse 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, as we look at this text and as we look at other texts and as we, as we dwell at and think about 
this disease of the fear of man that all of us are infected with, I pray by your kind grace and by your Holy Spirit, by your word, that you would help us to see this disease and more importantly, that you would help us to see the great and glorious cure that you give us in the gospel. Pray, Lord, for believers in this room that we would be refreshed in the truth, that we would be convicted and encouraged, this strange and beautiful combination of conviction and encouragement. And I pray for my friends that are in this room that are not yet trusting in Jesus, that by your sovereign grace, you would give them a new heart and new eyes and new ears so that they can look and see and believe and hear and trust in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you do this for your glory and our joy. And as we celebrate baptism at the end of this message, that, Lord, we would behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd help us with these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to have any notes or an outline this morning, just Scripture. But if you are the note taker type, we're really going to look at two things. Just the disease of the fear of man and the cure that can only be found in Christ. So the disease of the fear of man and the cure that can only be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the disease, we read about it here in our text, John 12, 42 and 43. There's these people, these in fact leaders that are following Jesus But for fear of the fact that if they went public with their following of Jesus, of their love for Jesus, they would face the, I guess, the punishment of the Pharisees. And so for fear of man, they decided to not go public with their following of and love for Jesus and to to sort of hide that because they preferred the glory or the approval that comes from mankind rather than the glory and the approval that comes from God. Maybe just a few more other scriptures that speak about this idea of the fear of man. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 22, the, the Lord is speaking through the prophet to the nation of Israel and he says, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? Psalm 146 verses 3 and 4, the psalmist puts it this way, Put not your trust in princes or your hope in people, in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So the psalmist is telling us, don't fear man. He can't save you. There's nothing he can give you. Your broken and broken people can't save you. And then in the New Testament, just one more, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writing to the Galatian church, rebuking them really, and saying to them, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There's just a flavor to go along with our main text, John chapter 12. Friends, we could spend the balance of our time together just reading verses in the Bible that speak about this huge disease called the fear of man. We won't do that, though. I trust that you will trust me in that this is a pervasive issue in our hearts, and it's spoken of all throughout the Scripture. We have evidence all throughout the Bible. 
But not only do we have biblical evidence, don't we just have evidence in our own hearts of the fear of man? Now let me just say before we get into this, in one sense, this, you know, the fear of man is good, right? It protects us from being just absolute, complete knuckleheads, right? It protects us from running out in front of traffic or just doing something really, really stupid that would make people think that you're crazy, right? So in one sense, the fear of man is, is a good thing. But we all know, in fact, it's in every culture and in every generation, there's this sense that we fear the opinions of people around us. And I would say, although I don't want to act like, I think we get into this trap, and I think we should avoid it, that we sometimes fall into this trap. It's kind of a, a self-absorbed, woes me trap where we act like following Jesus in our day and age is harder than it's ever been. I, I don't think that's the case. But I will say about this issue of the fear of man, that in this digital age that we live in, I think that there may be more opportunities, that there's more probability that we would be more prone to this idea of the fear of man. I mean, just look at the way we, I mean, just our phones, the way we are just tied into the world around us through our phones, and we're incessantly checking email. You know, every, I mean, some of us check email like every 10 minutes, just in case that disposed ruler from Nigeria is wanting to wire us three million dollars. Right? <laughs> Thank you. But it's not, it's not like we're going to miss out on some important news. It's that we dread having the people around us look at us and us seeming to be unimportant or unengaged in anything really important. Isn't it just kind of a a social anxiety that I'm in a room and, you know, there's people mingling and talking and talking and I don't have anybody to talk to, so what do I do? Oh, I, I, I check my phone so that I, it kind of blunts this feeling I have that I have nothing important to do. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, gives this little illustration about this, this thing inside the hearts of man. And he says that, that we are just longing to be, he says men are like, they're like longing to be invited into extra busyness. And he talks about this, this man, this, this man that comes along who's like a boss and he makes you work uh, you know, extra on a Saturday. And we complain about working extra on a Saturday. And he says, we dread working overtime. We dread being busy. And he says, the only thing worse of not being called into the office on Saturday, the only thing worse than being really, really busy is not being busy on Saturday. Because then it means that you're not important. And we, we all feel this, don't we? I mean, Facebook Instagram. Don't, isn't there just sort of this subconscious thing that just sort of rests underneath our heart when we're constantly putting, in, and by the way, it's always the best episodes of our life forward in social media, and we're just kind of wondering how many likes we'll get, right? And, and then we've kind of gone from being, you know, putting the best foot forward to sort of this anxious authenticity because, okay, we're not going to just put all our best foot forward. We're going to just be really, really honest about how jacked up our life is. But that's just kind of the same barn with a new coat of paint on it because we're just trying to, I'm really authentic world. See? 
And we're just hoping that a bunch of people will like how authentic we are and how real we are and how jacked up we are, but it's the same barn with a different coat of paint on it. Like me, notice me, affirm me, somebody tell me that they notice me. And I take your quietness to mean that you too are convicted by this. J.R. Vassar is a pastor in Texas and he wrote a book called Glory Hunger. God, the gospel, and our quest for something more. And really, the motivation for this message really came uh, uh, much from reading his book. Listen to this quote. Don't have it on the screen. Just listen to this quote from J.R. Vassar in his book. He says, Though I don't have a criminal record, I sit on trial every day in the court of human opinion, craving a positive verdict to be handed down on me from the, a jury of my peers. I'm constantly stacking up evidence, trying to sway the court to bestow upon me its approval. I argue my case for people's acceptance and appreciation. I look to other people for any trace of hope or hint that I am perceived as important. I am hungry for recognition, affirmation, applause, and love. To hear a yes spoken over me by everyone, sometimes anyone. And I fear hearing a no spoken over my life. With this desire for approval and acceptance comes an accompanying fear of rejection. I despise the thought of being invisible, unappreciated, or unloved. Oh, friends, when I read that, I was just deeply convicted. I think about just how, what a master I am at, at angling the conversation in a way that it somehow circles around to elicit a question so that I can bring up something that I think might be impressive to some. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not brave enough to just say, you know what, I don't want to talk about what you're talking about. Can we talk about what I want to talk about? Can you, can you ask me a question about myself so that I can sort of prop myself up in a sort of humble sort of way? <laughs> like, nobody would ever do that, right? But aren't we master manipulators, right? We're, we're kind of like, oh, and, and, and this is how it works out in my life. Sometimes I'll sort of say something kind of humbly, mildly, sort of degrading about myself. And I'm just putting the ball on the tee for you to say, oh, no, 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 Brad, that's not the case. Oh, it isn't? Oh, well, well tell me how it's not the case. Am I, am I the only one, right? Ah, oh, friends, we are all drug addicts. And our drug of choice is the approval of man. Ed Welch, uh, in his book, we have this in the Resource Center, and I, I just can't tell you how much this book has impacted my life and how, how helpful it is. It's a book called He's a Christian counselor in Philadelphia and a really gospel-centered guy with an organization called Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. He's written a book called When People Are Big and God is Small. That, that's, the, the title alone is just instructive. When People Are Big and God is Small, Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and the Fear of Man. And in this book, which, by the way, we, again, we have in the Resource Center, if you're interested in picking it up. He has written some, just some diagnostic questions to help us to see how pervasive this is in our life. He says, have you ever struggled with peer pressure, 
Peer pressure is simply a euphemism for the fear of man. And by the way, peer pressure isn't just for high school kids, right? I mean, it, it pervades every phase of life. Are you overcommitted? Do you find that it is hard to say no even when wisdom indicates that you should? You are a people pleaser. Another euphemism for the fear of man. Oh, <laughs> brothers and sisters, as a pastor, this is a tremendous challenge. Telling people, no, choosing the better thing to do in that moment for the greater good rather than just the approval of that person that you're, that you're dealing with in that moment. Is self-esteem a critical concern for you? This, at least in the United States, is the most popular way that the fear of man is expressed. If self-esteem is a recurring theme for you, in other words, maybe you're struggling with esteem issues, chances are that your life revolves around what others think of you. You reverence or fear their opinions. You need them to buttress your sense of well-being and identity. You need them to fill you up. Do you ever, ooh, this is convicting. Do you ever feel as if you might be exposed as an imposter? The sense of, <laughs> amen, the sense of being exposed as an imposter is an expression of the fear of man. Are you always second-guessing decisions because of what other people may think? Are you afraid of making mistakes that will make you look bad in other people's eyes? Do you get easily embarrassed? If so, people and their perceived opinions probably define you. Or, to use biblical language, you exalt the opinions of others to the point where you are ruled by them. Do you ever lie, especially little white lies? What about cover-ups where you're not technically lying with your mouth? Lying and other forms of living in the dark are usually ways to make ourselves look better before other people. Do you have a, a thing that's happened in your past? I thought about this as I read this. Maybe a story that you've relayed, and it, the first time you told it, it was kind of true, and then you just kind of, you got to juice it up. You got to add a little bit of juice to it every time you tell it to make it a little bit more, you know, good. And then you've been telling this story about something that you hap happened to you 20 years ago, and every time you say it, it's just more juice, more juice, because you just want, you just want more approval every time you tell the story. Tell it again. Ha! Tell it again. And just the fish gets bigger and bigger and bigger every time we reel it in, right? Are you jealous of other people? You're controlled by them and their possessions. Do other people often make you angry or depressed? Are they making you crazy? If so, they are probably the controlling center of your life. Just one more. It'll, it'll stop soon, I promise. <laughs> Do you avoid people? If so, even though you might not say that you need people, you are still controlled by them. Isn't a hermit dominated by the fear of man? Oh, friends, I, okay, I, okay, you can breathe now. We'll ease up. I'll put the book away. I just, and listen, this is not like the guy who's arrived talking to you boys and girls need to get better at this. I pastorally have discerned that this is a problem for you. So here is my now arrived opinion on how you... No, friends, I, the, the biggest issue in my life, 
the biggest issue in my life as a pastor continues to be the fear of man. I can remember being absolutely stifled by stage fright as a young person. I can remember in the army being absolutely dominated by getting through a particular course and wearing a patch on my left shoulder or a little tab that then I think would then, you know, make me, you know, uh, valuable in the eyes of my peers. I think about my life as a pastor, how often I cower in fear, wondering what the people think of me. Friends, we are all drug addicts, and our drug of choice is the approval of man. Welch says in his book that the problem that all of this has produced in us is that we need people for ourselves more than we love them for the glory of God. The task that God sets for us is to need people less so that we can love them more. Okay, just one more little thing before we get on to the cure. Richard Baxter, a Puritan pastor who lived in the 1600s, wrote many books and many sermons, and I just love the titles of Puritan sermons. Uh, This is a sermon that he wrote on the fear of man. This is the title of his sermon. Directions against inordinate man-pleasing or that out overvaluing the favor of man, which is the fruit of pride and a great cause of hypocrisy, or directions against idolizing man. (laughs) That's a great title right there. I mean, the title preaches right there. But listen to what Baxter says in the 1600s about this very thing. Remember how silly a creature man is and that his favor or approval can be no better than himself. The thoughts and words of a mortal worm are matters of no considerable value to us. Remember what a multitude you have to please, meaning when you're trying to please men. And when you have pleased some, how many more will still be unpleased? And how many displeased when you have done your best? Alas, we are insufficient at once to observe all those that observe us and would be pleased by us. You are like the one that hath but twelve pennies in his purse, and a thousand beggars come about to him for it, and every one of them will be displeased if he doesn't have it all. Friends, what Baxter is saying is, is that you cannot find your approval in broken men. You're broken, and broken people can't give you what you need to be whole. We can only find that in God. So before we move on to the cure, just just think about this. The fear of man, it's like an operating system. It's like an you know like that antivirus for those of you those PC users? I'm a Mac guy, so I don't need all this virus stuff, and I know I'm going to get some emails about that. But you know you have to, you have to get these antivirus things to run just in the background of your operating system, and it's just always there, always searching everything, always everything's running through this virus protection software. Well, that's kind of the way the fear of man is in our hearts, except that... The fear of man is the virus through which everything in our life runs. 
So where does this fear of man come from? Notice the text that we read. It says that they, they, they feared these, these people so that they wouldn't be put out of the synagogue. And then it says that they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Here's my proposition. Here's, here's what I think is true from the Bible. Is that this fear of man comes from this broken but yet God-ingrained sense in us in that we are built to desire glory. We were built to hunger for, to behold something greater than ourselves and to receive our value from it and to actually receive glory from God. We not only give God glory, we receive glory from God. We see this in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 where we were made in the image of God. He makes all of creation as glorious as it is and he says that it's good. And then he makes mankind and what does he say about Adam and Eve? Not just that it's good, but that it's very good. So not only are we created to give God glory, we are created actually to receive glory from God. Let me show you this in Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8 is this beautiful verse about us giving glory to God and then receiving glory from God. And and we don't think of this often, but we are wired not only to give glory, but to receive glory from God. Psalm 8 verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Verse 5. So, okay, obviously, God, you've made all this. You're worth receiving all glory. But then look at the transition in verse 5. Yet... You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, meaning mankind. And actually, I think this text isn't just speaking about us, but it's talking about the perfect God-man, Jesus, who comes as a man to restore glory in us and put us back to where we should have been before the fall. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So mankind which is now fallen, but is represented by Jesus, is, is deemed and ordained by God to be crowned with glory and honor. We are built not only to give glory to God, but also to share. C.S. Lewis in that book, The Weight of Glory, says that we are, and this is so spectacular, not that God needed us, but that God deemed and desires and wants for us out of an overflow of his glory and greatness to make us an ingredient in his divine happiness. So we, we are made to give glory and to receive glory, but we exchanged it. Look at Romans chapter 1. This is where I think we clearly see it in the Bible, how we have allowed through our rebellion to have this fear of man enter into us. Romans chapter 1. Listen to this text. Super important text on so many levels, but this is just explaining humanity. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman church right now, and he's speaking about this all mankind. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So what he's saying there is that you should just be able to see people that rejected God. We should even be able to look to the heavens and the glory of God like we read about in Psalm 8. And it should draw us to know that there is a creator. So we are without excuse when we reject God. Verse 21, for although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. In other words, give him glory. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And now listen to this, verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So in other words, we had this glory from God bestowed on us that was all satisfying, but we, along with our first parents, Adam and Eve, in a mystery which I can't explain, didn't sneak up on God. He had a plan from beginning of time, even before time, to create a people, allow them to fall so that he could redeem them. I don't quite understand all of that. I realize there's mystery in that. But we exchange the all-sufficient glory that we receive from God, being made in his image as stewards, needing nothing else. We exchanged it for created things. There it is. That's why, that's when the fear of man and this quest for glory that could never satisfy on earthly created things entered into humanity and it is now a disease that infects every aspect of every human being, every facet of our life, every part of our brain, every part of our body, every culture from the first people until now. The fear of man, this disease, this quest for glory. So what is the cure? Well, friends, the cure is clearly in beholding the beauty of the gospel. We have made an exchange, our glory, the glory of man. We've traded in the glory that would only satisfy us, God's glory, and we've traded it in for, for glory amongst men, and God has made an exchange as well for us on the cross. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, friends, this is the heart of the Bible. This is the very central message of the Scriptures in just this one verse. For our sake, in other words, us, these glory-hungry idolizers, these people that are infected with the fear of man, that are infected with the stain of the sin that separates us from God. For our sake, he, meaning God the Father, made him, meaning God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin. So he made the perfect one, Jesus, the God Second person of the Trinity, the God-man who became a man, he made him who knew no sin, who was perfect, to be a thief like us, to be a sinner like us, put sin on him. Jesus wasn't a sinner, but he put sin on him so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God, let me back up there, God doesn't make Jesus a sinner, but he puts our sin, the punishment for our idolatry, the punishment for our addiction on Jesus, where we've exchanged his glory, 
Jesus exchanges his righteousness and gives it to us and takes the punishment for our sin. And now because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we can rightly behold the glory and the sufficiency and the worth that we have in Christ. So now, friends, see what's happening here. God is taking the most infinitely valuable thing in the universe, the beauty of his son, and laying down that life so that it would absorb his punishment that should have been ours, and now laying down that life to purchase our lives on the cross. Friends, in that moment on the cross, Jesus isn't dying just merely as an example. He is laying down his life as a display of the beauty and love and worth that God has for his people. On the cross, God the Father is saying, this is how valuable my people are to me. By laying down the most infinitely beautiful Christ on the cross. And it is Jesus laying down his life so that the Father could say, I approve of you. And friends, when we behold the glory of the cross, the beauty of the cross, the worth of the cross, we see what God thinks of his people. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 then says that when we trust in Christ, when we are in him, when he makes us alive, when he gives us a new heart so that we can trust in Christ and behold him, it says that we are in him. It says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So now, when we are trusting in Christ, Christ is in us. He, we, we, are, we are now in Christ. We, we live in him. He's in us. Will read for us earlier from Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. It says, don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in in the newness of life. So when we trust in Christ, when we see how beautiful, when God gives us a new heart, when we're dead in our sins, we're we're, we're lusting after, we're, we're questing after all of these false things that will never satisfy because of the fear of man looking for the approval of people. And we're dead in our sins. And when God, through the gospel, gives us a new heart and shows us our value by laying down the most infinitely valuable thing in the universe, which is Jesus' Son on the cross, and he opens our eyes to see that that is the only thing that can truly satisfy us, then he gives us faith and repentance and life so that we can trust trust in him, and then he doesn't just leave us alone to go fight our battles of fighting fear from then on out. He puts us in Christ. We're now united with him. We are in Christ. He's in us, and now the approval that the Father has for the Son is ours. So listen to this, Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17. This is Jesus being baptized. This is the man, Jesus, being baptized. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the Father, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. You've read this before. Verse 17, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 
So Jesus has received the approval of the Father. And we just read from Colossians that when we are trusting in Christ, the most infinite thing in the universe, we then aren't just sort of distantly related to him. We're engrafted into him. We're part of him. We're in him. And he's in us. And so when God the Father looks on the Son and says, I'm pleased with him, we are in that. Do you see that? And now, that's the cure. The approval that we're seeking after that we can never find outside of Christ is now ours because we are in Christ. So friends, I know you think, oh Brad, there you go. You just want everything, the answer to every question to be the gospel. Yes! I know there's application to make. I know that. I get that. And that's why God gives us the rest of his word and his community and his spirit to apply a thousand other principles that are like spokes off of the gospel. But friends, it's all a band-aid if we don't see first the virus-killing cure of the gospel. Nothing will satisfy our hearts until we see the beauty of God's love for his people in the gospel and what we, how God sees us in Christ as saying to us, in you, I am, because you are in Christ, you are well, you are, I am pleased with you. We won't cure this disease until we see that. Remember what Vassar said. He says, I'm just looking out around the world around me, just Afraid of that no and hoping for that yes. And when we are in Christ, when we behold Jesus, when we trust in him, when we see what he's done on the cross to bear our sin and to rise again in victory over it and we put our faith in Christ because God has given us faith to put in Christ, that is where we hear the one heavenly definitive yes from God the Father. And that satisfies us. And when we have that, it weans us, it cures us from everything that we talked before. Then now, my life is no longer dominated by how much I weigh, or how tall I am, or how good looking I am, or how many likes I have on Facebook, or listen to this young lieutenant, your life is no longer dominated by whether or not you have a ranger tab, or a CIB, or whether or not you are, your OER is good, or whatever. You are no longer dominated by that thing. Now listen to this young lady, your life is no longer dominated now by how many young guys you have chasing after you, and you no longer have to give in to that sick disease of giving over your body to some young punk before you're married because you, are, you behold a greater approval, the only approval that can satisfy, which is Christ. And if you die, never getting a ranger tab, never getting a like on Facebook, never having your body touched by some punk, you will die completely satisfied because if you are in Christ, you have all that you need. Do you see that? So where do we go from here? I mean, come on, I, I'm not unrealistic. I'm not just saying, I mean, drop the mic, bam. So now you get this, right? Now now we're all good. We don't have, we don't have to deal with the fear of man anymore. We can move on to other stuff, right? <laughs> no. I think just if we can, if we can just make movement towards this together, and if we can just begin to, better identify in our own hearts how pervasive 
this disease is. Because if you're in Christ, it's been cured, but you still got symptoms, you know? You know what I mean? You still got symptoms. And if we can just move a little closer to seeing this, and if we can be a little bit more honest with each other, and if we can maybe put down our phones, and if we can maybe just just kind of give up this longing that we all have for one another's approval. And if we can, if we can, like Welch says, if we can need each other less so that we can actually love each other more, imagine just that little movement, what that would do in a group of people like this who are leaning together into the glory of God and the gospel. And if we can just, just move a little bit closer to seeing the beauty of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, friends. And then if, then if we, can, we can get dusted up this week and if we can come back in here next Sunday and we can lean forward a little bit more, you know, we can get together in our community groups and guys can, you know, have breakfast together and confess sin and, and women can get together and confess sin and, and we can just move a little bit further, friends. We can link arms and we can, we can make it because God is for us, not against us in Christ. If we can just do that, friends, oh, how much better off we'll be. In the uh, Old Testament book of Isaiah 55, I won't quote it. Don't, don't even worry about putting it up on the screen. God says to the prophet, he says, come, come, come and and eat a food that you can't buy. Why are you spending your money on stuff that won't satisfy? Come and eat of rich food that can truly satisfy. And what he's talking about is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's stop feasting on this diseased meat of the approval of man. And let's come to the banquet table of God's delight and favor and approval in Christ. And let's wean ourselves from the approval of the world. If you're a believer, let your heart be stirred. If you're not trusting in Christ, what do you need to do? I've confused you. I've yelled. I've pounded. I've sweat. I've spit. You're like, what just happened? You need to look away from yourself. I think, come on, friends, you can identify, right? You know what I've been talking about. You don't need all the answers. You're not saved by your figuring out everything I've talked about. You, you, you will be saved by your faith in Christ alone. That's what faith is. It's not having every T crossed and I dotted and every dot connected. God is, if he's stirring your heart, are you, are you hearing these things? Do you? You have this sense in your mind and your heart that, that God is like pulling you out of this, this muck that you've been in. That yes, there's something that resonates. That's, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you, giving you a heart to believe, making you alive so that you can look to the cure of Christ who is the perfect one who laid down his life for all that will trust in him. You don't need to fill out a card. You don't need to repeat any words, although these things can be helpful. I'm not dogging that. Right now, you need to look away from the disease, to look away from the created thing, and to look to the creator and find your approval 
faithful in him and trust in what he has done in his son on the cross to bear his wrath that should have been yours and then rise again in victory over the grave. And now, because of what Christ has done, and if you will come under Christ and trust in him, he will say to you like he said to Christ, you are my beloved son and daughter. I am pleased in you. That is, friend, your only hope. Look away even now and look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust in you. I don't get it all. I don't understand it all. I put my hope and my faith in you because only you can satisfy. Do that even now. And if you're doing that now, do not leave this room before you talk to somebody that you know to be a Christian. And just explain, this is what's going on in my heart. Help me. And if you're that person that they talk to, don't just act goofy and scared. Take them to lunch, breakfast, do something. Get with them. Link them up with a pastor if you don't feel qualified. And let's get that person walking in the newness of life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the beautiful glory of the gospel. And I confess my fear of man. I confess it. I confess that my life has been dominated by this disease. And I need a fresh I need the gospel. I need it to live. I need it to pastor. I need it to, I just need it. I can't, I can't do it without Jesus. I need you, God. I need you. I need you. So often I feel scared and in the corner. And when I am, Lord, I am giving in to the false idol of the approval of man. Lord, redirect my heart afresh to the beauty of Christ and the approval that you have for your son. And if I am in your son, which I know I am, then the approval that is on Jesus is mine in Christ. God, thank you. Refresh my heart, Lord. Reset my mind on that glorious truth. And then, Lord, bring along all my brothers and sisters and do the same for them, I pray. And God, make this message and make this anecdote make this make this beautiful cure so lovely god that it melts hard hearts in this room and that people would behold the beauty and the satisfaction that is the approval of god which can only be found in christ and give them eyes to see that i pray in jesus name amen